Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Guys, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. I'm excited. I'm glad you're all here with us here at Dwell. Um, I'm excited. Uh, Sarah Cook said to me this morning when I showed up, she said, preaching with a pony, huh? And so... I am excited to be here preaching with a pony. Uh, last time I was up here, I just let the, the locks flow lusciously, and it kept getting in my way, tickling my face. And so I'm excited. Um, if you were here with us last week, like Ashley said, um, we have started the We Are series. And so we are preaching through our mission statement. So last week, Wade absolutely crushed it on the fact that we are a family. Uh, and so hopefully this week, I will at least do a decent job talking about being defined by the love of God. So let's get into it. Let's talk about love. So it seems love is given and received in our world based on the things about you that people value, right? Like in turn, these things are what the world says defines you. So I've compiled a nice little list of what the world says defines us. So if you go to a party and you talk to someone you don't know for the first time, like, what's the first thing that they're going to say? They're going to say, what do you do? So your job. With that, your income, your wealth, your possessions, physical appearance, probably the color of your skin, maybe your athletic ability, where you're from. Are you married or not? Are you funny or not? Uh, Do you have a mullet or not if you're in Denver? My, uh, my nephew actually has such a spectacular mullet, and I love it so much. It's not what defines him, but I do love him more because of it. <laughs> do you have a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, a doctorate, or maybe you just only have a high diploma? Uh, do you own a house? Are you Republican or Democrat, conservative, moderate, liberal? Uh, wait, wait, wait. Are you vaccinated or not? Uh, it's funny, I was, I was driving around Denver this last week, and I see this sign that says, uh, vaccines are sexy. And my first thought was, what? Okay. And then my second thought was, wait, I'm vaccinated. But that doesn't define me, unfortunately. And one more thing. This summer, uh, my roommates and I got really into chess, and um, I don't know if you guys have played chess before, but it is such a beautiful game because it is completely based on your skill. Like, there's no luck involved with chess, which is great. I love that. And so, if you win, it is, it is 100% because you had better skill than the other person. If you lose, it is 100% because you had less skill than the other person. And if there's one thing you should know about me, it's that I don't like to do things that I'm bad at. I don't like to lose. Um, And chess is actually the one exception to this. It's so fun to me, and I'm so bad at it. So, so bad. You can ask Josh Frey's. You can ask my roommates. Um, But I love playing this game, even though my ability is horrible. And luckily with that, my ability in chess doesn't define me by any means. And it's not what our world says that ultimately defines us, right? 
It's not even what we love that defines us. It's actually who loves us. So as Christians, we are defined by the love of God. So we no longer live out of our identity, abilities, or preferences, but we live out of the fact that we are loved by God. And so today, I want us to know that we are loved by God and also to not only know it, but apply this knowledge by actually believing it. And then with that, hopefully we can also rest in the fact that we are loved by God. So know that you are loved by God. In order for us to know that we are loved by God, we're going to dig into two things here. God's sacrifice for us and also God's grace towards us. And there are countless portions of scripture to choose from to base uh, this sermon off of, to base the love of God off of. Uh, For instance, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for us. Or Romans 8.39, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, I could go on and on and on with different scriptures because the entirety of the Bible is based around this one truth, right? And the truth is, the God of the universe has a deep and abiding love for his people. And we are his people. The love of God is evident toward us all throughout the Bible. A good friend of mine uh, here at Dwell, his name is Jimmy. He recently challenged me to uh, a Bible reading challenge, which is reading the Bible in, in less than a year. And I, I didn't tell him this, actually, but I hesitantly accepted because uh, I've never actually finished one of these Bible reading plans. I've actually, typically I'll fail miserably within like the first month, but it's actually been really good so far. Um, And one of the ways it's been good is just in the first like five days of doing this reading plan, man, I was reminded of the love of God for me countless times, like over a dozen times in just the first few days. My point is, as Christians, as the family of God, We can know that we are defined by the love of God because the Bible says so. Y'all remember uh, when you were kids, your parents, um, or maybe you're a parent right now and you've said this, in response to your kid having a question or a complaint or something, and you don't have a great answer for them, and so what do you say? Because I said so. Like That's the classic response. And that's the answer here. And it's actually good. Like You can know that you are defined by the love of God because God says so. The Bible says so. Like Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? Like we, we have probably heard that before if you were in Sunday school at all as a kid. And that's not merely just some Sunday school song. Like There is substance to that. Like This is solid. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The Bible in which God has chosen to reveal himself to us is littered with descriptions, with stories, with explanation of God's love for his people. And so I want us to take a closer look at Romans 5 here to help us answer this question, how do we know God loves us? So Romans 5, 6 to 7, 
read along with me. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. So I think Paul is getting the point across to his readers in verse 7. Like, it is extremely difficult, probably next to impossible, to find someone who will die for a righteous person, for like a good man. And yet God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, we are weak and faulty, right? If you look at all of history, or if you even look at the history of the Bible, like God's chosen people, the Israelites, you'll see they are weak and faulty constantly. If you think back over the past few years of your life, you'll see that you are weak and faulty. Like if you think back to this last week, the last few days, maybe even the last few hours, you will most likely see that you have been weak, you have been faulty, you have gone against God's good will for your life. And I know I see that in my life way, way more than I would like to admit over the last week. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And so when you come to grips with your weakness, your faults, your brokenness, your sin, your continued rebellion against a perfect God, this helps give some perspective and shed some light on the depth of God's love toward us. God knows all these sins that we are riddled with. He knows our deepest, darkest things. He knows everything about us. I would not want to know everything about all of you guys. Like, no offense. But he does. And he still goes. And what does he do? He shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is the God of Christianity. This is our God sacrificing his only son for an ungodly people. He's willingly a God of sacrificial love. I love this line from this Christian uh, rapper named Jay Monty. He says, your love for me puts you to death, and that's so irresponsible. Oftentimes, in our human minds, we might think sacrificial love to be wildly irresponsible. Some may even say reckless. But the truth is, God wants us. God desires us. He calls us his sons and daughters, and he proves his love for us with great sacrifice. And personal sacrifice is the utmost way to show love. We see this all throughout Hollywood. In Lord of the Rings, right? Fellowship of the Ring. I just watched it this last week. Sam goes the extra mile and sacrifices his own well-being for Frodo, like constantly. And then at the end of the movie, you see as, as Frodo's like going away on this boat on the river, Sam finds him and comes to the shore and it's like, Frodo, I'm coming with you. Like, I love you. I will do anything for you. And Frodo's like, no. And then Sam's like, well, I'm going to swim out to you. And Frodo's like, that's a bad idea. You don't know how to swim. <laughs> but what does Sam do? He jumps in anyways. He's irresponsible and reckless, but his love for Frodo compels him to do this. Even in Dumb and Dumber, Lloyd eventually sacrifices his extra pair of gloves for Harry, right? 
because it's the Rockies. But what about personal sacrifice to the point of death? Well, John 15, 13 says this. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The laying down of one's life is the pinnacle of personal sacrifice, and this is exactly what Jesus does for us. Jesus paid it all, like we sang earlier, right? This is exactly what God does to show his love for us. I hope I don't sound like a broken record, but I do hope you get this point. Know that you are defined by the love of God. I already used this uh, passage, but please allow me to repeat real quick. It's the classic John 3.16, and we'll even throw in verse 17 for good measure. I feel like it gets a little bit neglected. Uh, It just gets seen past uh, for whatever reason. It's like this neglected stepchild, but it's actually so good. Here it is, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It's no easy thing for us to fully comprehend the love of God. Great, great sacrificial love for us is not going to be easy for us to understand. But I want you to think about one thing that is so near and dear to you that you, you just couldn't imagine life without it. Examples might be, and don't say this out loud, your husband or wife, your daughter, your son, your best friend of 10 to 20 years, your church family or community. And then ask yourself, would I sacrifice my life for this? Would you say, hey, like my love for this is so strong and so deep that I would rather die than see it perish? This is what God did. And we can know the love of God by looking at the sacrifices he has made for us. And we can also know the love of God by looking at God's grace toward us. So grace is receiving what we do not deserve, right? As sinners, we deserve hell. But as sinners saved by grace, that's what we are. So continue on in Romans 5. We continue to pick up evidence of the love of God toward us by seeing his generous grace. So pick up in verse 9 with me. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So Romans 5 tells us that the death of Jesus, the shedding of his blood, accomplishes these things for us as Christians. Here they are. One, we are justified in the sight of God. Romans 6.23 reminds us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We had a debt to pay because of our sin. 
But God generously sends Jesus to justify us, to make us right with him. And the second one here is we are saved from the wrath of God. Nahum 1 verses 2 says, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. I think we get it. The Lord has vengeance for his enemies, for the unrighteous. So to know that, and then to see that he graciously gave his son to save us from his wrath. Like, that's amazing. That should cause us to take a step back and be like, what? That's wild. And finally, we see that because of Jesus, we have been reconciled to God. That means our relationship with God was broken because of sin, right? But with Jesus, we have been reconciled to God. We, that relationship has been fixed. It's been mended. We have been brought back into right standing with God, right relationship. We're reconciled. The fact that we are justified in his sight, saved from his wrath, and reconciled back to him, they all point back to God's love for us. The reason Jesus, the Son of God, was sent to this broken world to live a perfect life and to die a perfect death for us. The reason is love. It was rooted in the love of God. Broken record again. We are no righteous people. Like, I know this. You guys all know this. And yet God did not wait for us to take the first step back to him. But in an act of pure grace, he intervened to provide a way for us to come back to him. Our identity was that of sinners, right? Weak, broken, condemned, far from God. And you insert the love of God as evidence to us through the cross of Christ. And that is the new identity of the Christian. Saved by grace and defined by the love of God. It's good news. And if there's only one thing you'll hear today, I want you to hear this. The death of Jesus on the cross is the greatest evidence of the love of God. The death of Jesus on the cross is the greatest evidence of the love of God. So now our identity rests on nothing other than the work of Jesus on our behalf. There's often this disconnect between knowledge and believing, right? For instance, um, I climb, and so if my climbing partner, I have the knowledge that they have the know-how to belay me, to keep me safe, to keep from dropping me with the rope, right? I know this. But if for whatever reason, I don't believe that they will actually hold me up and not drop me, like, one of two things. I'm either very foolish for climbing with them, or more likely, if I don't believe it, like I just won't climb with them. That would be wild. But as Christians, we shouldn't be okay with just knowing God's love and stopping at that. And we should want to climb. 
We should want to believe in and rest in God's love for us. So climb on. Here we go. We know that God's sacrifice for us and grace towards us is proof of his love for us. And now it's time we go hard in the paint on some application, okay? We're going all in. Because what good is knowing that we are defined by the love of God if we don't let it affect us? So believe in the love of God. One of the the maybe great thinkers of our time, um, I know for sure he's definitely one of the greatest comedians of our time, Dave Chappelle, he had this to say. He says, we have to believe in something or else why would we continue? Now, believing in something is hard. We live in an age where tons of news and information overload. We live in an age where we have skepticism toward everything that is said to us. Fake news, right? It's been a thing. Or what about, have you heard of semantic satiation? I was afraid I was going to not say that right. But you might have heard of this. You might have experienced it. It's when you repeat a word too many times, and then you kind of perceive this word as like gibberish or meaningless. Let me give you an example. So if today I, was, I had said the word or read the word or heard the word go like a lot today, and then for whatever reason, my brain does this like phenomenon thing. I don't know the science behind it, but essentially your brain is like, that's not a word anymore. Like your brain doesn't believe that that's real. And this is a word, go, that I've heard thousands and thousands and thousands of times in my life. And now it doesn't even believe that it's real? So yeah, believing is hard. But if we can't believe in the love of God for us, which is the central theme of Christianity, then as Chappelle says, why would we continue? So why is this hard? It's not hard to listen, or it is hard not to listen to and believe what the world tells us we are defined by. Like there's chatter, there's chirping, there's all these things that are said to us all the time. We're also a fickle people, right? We're wishy-washy. On top of that, we're also a forgetful people. We so quickly and easily forget the truth of God's word. Man, I even forget my roommate's name sometimes. Sorry, John, Josh. I mean, we are seriously prone to forgetfulness. Then how do we fight against this fickleness and forgetfulness so that we can believe in the love of God? Luckily, God is gracious to us, and hopefully you didn't already forget last week uh, when Wade crushed it, and what did he talk about? He talked about the fact that we are family. We belong to the family of God, right? So we have this gift of community, and I believe this gift of community really helps us, should help us to believe in the love of God, right? But here are a few things to help us believe. Lead a devoted life to the family of God. So as you yourself lead a devoted life to the fellowship, like Wade talked about last week, and you see others at dwell do the same, this should help us believe, right? If I'm having a horrible week and I feel like I'm failing miserably, 
But I see Graham over here just exuding the love of God or just, just being a baller in the faith. Man, that's, gonna, that's actually going to encourage me and help me believe. We also want to go again and again and again to God's word. I know, broken record. Our community can and should help us by encouraging one another to go back again and again and again. I mean, Jimmy challenging me to read the Bible in a year is a, a perfectly practical example of this. I think this is key. And then what weakens our belief most that God loves us? Well, it's probably ourselves. This is my last line from a song right here. Um, This is my third one, if you're counting. And here it is. Nothing kills man faster than his own head. It's by 21 Pilots, best band out there. With that, my other encouragement is tell your people of the love of God for them. I think this might be the hardest one to do because it can feel so corny and it can feel so cliche. I actually had a conversation with Josh Cook a few months ago about this, and we were talking about having a conversation with someone who's very close to you and near and dear, and maybe they're struggling with um, doubts or, or just like believing in God or whatever it may be. And I'm like, well, all I want to do is is remind them of the truth that like God loves them and that's what matters. Like these other things don't. But I'm like, it feels so cliche. I feel like I can't say it because I feel so cliche to me. And um, surprisingly, he was like, yeah, Sarah and I have actually had that similar conversation. And um, yeah, we, we've kind of felt the same way about the cliche-ness. And then he goes on to say, but you still do it. That's not an, not an excuse. And I think he said that because it may be one of the most impactful things you can do for a brother or sister in Christ. Look, you won't always know what is going on in your fellow believer's life, but you can always know that as as forgetful and fickle people, we need to hear that we are loved by God. We crave this affirmation. The benefits of this way, way, way outweigh this risk, not even risk, but this cliche-ness and awkwardness that you might feel. So I challenge you to embrace the awkwardness if need be and tell your fellow believers of the love of God for them. Tell them that the sacrifice of Jesus on their behalf changes everything for them, and it defines them more than anything else. So when you know the love of God and you believe that you are loved by God, then you can better rest in the love of God. So rest in the fact that you are loved by God. What a beautiful thing rest is, right? Come on, we all love sleep. Get to catch those Z's. All of us are definitely hitting the snooze button. I did this morning. Most of us probably will take a nice Sunday afternoon couch nap today. It's great. 
And even God rests. In Genesis, we see that on the seventh day of creation, he rests. And if God is doing it, it's a good thing. Granted, we're not resting from our work here like he was, but we are actually resting in the work God has done on our behalf. And so we rest in the fact that we are loved by God. Why? When we rest in the fact that we are loved by God, what happens? I think we experience real peace. Hopefully we'll experience true freedom. Less anxiety, less worry. And hear me, God's love for us is a covenant love. And this means it is promised to us. Like it will never leave. And God doesn't break his promises. This is a quote from a book I read recently. Um, it's a fiction book, and the, the person saying this is uh, like a 10-year-old girl. And she says, don't people get married because they're full of love and then divorce when they run out of it? And I was like, that hits, I feel like that hits too close to home for our society. But the truth is, God's love doesn't run out. In fact, 1 John 4 tells us that God is love. God's promised covenant love and the fact that he is love it gives us the green light to rest in his love for us. So when all else fails and nothing is able to give you rest, give you peace, you can rest in the love of God for you. And so practical ways to rest in God's love for us. And this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but just a a couple very practical moves I thought I'll share with you here. Just two. The first one is preaching the gospel to yourself daily. I think this will be immensely beneficial in helping us rest in the love of God. Because it's a daily reminder of the generous and sacrificial gift of Jesus on our behalf. Outside of the Bible, the one resource I would recommend for this that's been very, very very helpful for me in daily encouragement of the gospel is a book called A Gospel Primer. Um, I have gifted it to, to many, many people because it's been so impactful, and it should help you rest in the fact that you are loved by God. And the second move for us is taking communion. It's a tangible knowing, believing, resting in the love of God is experienced in the taking of communion. I think it's great that we do this on a weekly basis. My fear is that this would become a going through the motions moment for us. That's my fear for myself. But remember that when you take communion, what you are saying is, is I believe what Jesus did for me on the cross was true, and I accept the love of God for me, and I rest in that. As I remember the body of Christ broken for me and the blood of Christ that was shed for me, we have this structure in place to where we get to rest in the love of God weekly. Look. Y'all get to apply this sermon in a couple minutes, and I'll be watching. I'm just joking. 
Guys, I'm going to close this morning um, with a story of a time recently when I truly, truly felt and knew and rested in the fact that I was defined by the love of God. And to be honest with you guys, I wish I could replicate this feeling. I don't know how it happened in this knowing and this resting, but it was just, I think it was just a gift from God. And so here it is, bear with me. I hope I don't get emotional. Anyways, um, this was back in February. I had a friend come visit town, a good friend of mine, to ski and to hang out. And I was still working this week, so I worked at the beginning of the week. And just a couple of hard things at work that week. Um, maybe some false allegations against me that I didn't think were fair. And then fast forward to the end of the week, Friday, and um, just some like very difficult and heavy and hard conversations with a good friend um, that just kind of drained me and um, were kind of discouraging. And then Saturday, I take my buddy who was in town back to the airport. And on the way to the airport, we have some good conversation. He reminds me of God's love for me in Jesus. He reminds me of the gospel, which was sweet. I drop him off, and um, for whatever reason, I decide not to play the radio on the way home, and instead I just kind of sit in the conversation we had, sit thinking about this last week, and um, spending some time in prayer on, on the ride home. And as I'm going down 25 South, I hit some traffic, and I get to this point as I'm kind of coming to this point of confessing to God of my brokenness and my weakness and seeing that and feeling that throughout the last week and then confessing my unworthiness. And I just, I just feel this overwhelming sense of, man, I'm just not worthy to be a son of God. Like, I'm not worthy to have a perfect son of God and Jesus die on my behalf but for whatever reason in this moment, as I get stuck in traffic on I-25, and I just feel this overwhelming sense of, it doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter about my abilities. It doesn't matter what I've accomplished or haven't accomplished. It doesn't matter how the last week looked for me, whether good or bad. What matters is that what Jesus did for me. And that is ultimately what defines me. And that is ultimately how I see and feel and rest in the love of God for me. So that is my hope for us. That we will know that we are defined by the love of God and that we would believe that and that we would also rest in that. So let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.